Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 15 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Rondo's Chicken and Waffles. And I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Demarcus, a.k.a. the Houston Shape Up, a.k.a. Nigga Marcus. How you doing today? I'm doing fairly well, fairly well. Um, you know, a little upset by the season opener for my Warriors. Not looking too hot. <laughs> but besides that, fairly well, the Cowboys won, which means a little bit further away from the number one draft pick, which means closer to keeping Dak. Also closer to the playoffs. Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> We're going to pray for that not to happen. But besides that, everything's good. Still bumping that new Jack Harlow is stuck in my head. All right. Well, as you already know, this is our Christmas episode. Merry Christmas, y'all. Well, not just Christmas, our last episode of 2020. Merry, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. All right, DeMarcus, I want to give you the Christmas Day NBA fire sell. I don't want any justifications. I want your first pick and choice for these games. Pelicans versus Heat. Who do you take? Heat. Warriors versus Bucks? Bucks. Damn, that's 0-2 start? Yeah, I'm a reasonable man. Mavericks versus Lakers. Mavericks. Ooh, I like that. I like that. All right, Clippers versus Nuggets. Clippers. Revenge game? A little bit, yes. Okay. Paul George, especially after the opening night, has passed to nobody, or he passed to the ref. Kind of (laughs) ridiculous. He needs to go ahead and redeem himself from both that and the playoffs. All right, and last but not least, the Nets versus the Celtics. It's the Nets. All right, which game of those do you think would be the best game on Christmas Day? Mavs Lakers. Ooh, okay. I'm I could Luca LeBron that that comparison that matchup. Lakers have lots of new pieces. They're trying to get out there. Mavericks think they could go on a run this year. Okay, okay. Now, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Kyrie Irving. His comments about the media being pawns, you know, burning sage in the arenas. Mm-hmm. You know, Chuck actually was on the J. Will, Zubin, et cetera show mm-hmm. recently. He had a pretty interesting comment about Kyrie Irving. Uh, let's listen real quick. And when he talks, I'm like, what the hell is he trying? What is he saying and what is he trying to say? Listen, guys, I think a lot of these guys, he starts talking about what an artist he is. He's a basketball player. That's what he is. We're, we, listen, we're, we're not uh, in the, we're not trying to, we're not frontline responders. We're not teachers. Shout out to the teachers out there. Yeah, the teachers out here doing it. <laughs> Yo, man, you dribble a basketball. Stop acting like you're the smartest person in the world. Now, can you talk about social issues and things like that? Of course. But some of that other stuff, I'm like, yo, man, you do realize you're just a basketball player, right? Uh, and it seems like he's like, no, I want you guys to know I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'm like, go. well, first of all, you're not. You only went to college for six months. <laughs> a lot of player, a lot of guys are smarter than you are. Just answer stupid basketball questions. All right, what do you think about that? Um, I agree with Chuck. I'm not gonna hate on Kyrie. I'm gonna disagree with him though. He he, not an artist. He's just a basketball player. You don't think what he does with the ball is art? He's not an artist. He's a basketball player. You don't think what he does with a with a basketball is art? And, like, and more importantly, part of his job as a basketball player or artist, whatever you want to call him, 
part of his contract says he has media obligations and the media are their connection to the fans. Period. He needs to do it. I'm 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 fair with that. I'm just saying you don't think what Kyrie does, his handle is an art form. Is it beautiful? Yes. Does it resemble art? Yes. But he a basketball player. No. He's not no artist. If if he is making art, something that is beautiful. No, no, resembles no, 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 no. Art. He's playing basketball that looks like art. He's not making art. What's the difference? There's a dis- nuanced difference. I, we, we could cover that later on. Okay. But All right. not the same thing. We have an exciting show for you today. We have a in-depth story about a award the NFL gave that caused a lot of controversy recently. We're going to give you our holiday Krampus fly route for Trevor Lawrence and whether or not he should want the Jets or the Jags to get the number one pick. We're going to give you our first iteration of COVID and crossovers and our new segment called Sherlock Woge, where we piece some clues together and give you all the larger picture. Welcome to the tea off. Oh, spill that tea, sis. You know, this is how we like to start off our show. We like to spill some tea on some of the crazy situations our favorite athletes get into. And today, the subject of our tee-off is actually not an athlete, but instead is a person, a regular guy, just like you and me, named what I want to say is Drayshon Reed, but it's spelled D-R-E-A-S-J-O-N, like where the fuck we got the J, but Drayshon Reed, who was recently honored by the NFL as a, quote, victim of systematic racism, victim of police misconduct, and social justice hero. The NFL actually put his name on a helmet decal that was able to be used by teams this season as a way to show off their support for some of the larger issues facing our country this year. Now, they recently on Instagram posted a what I can't describe as anything other than a hood photo that you would find on a t-shirt of Reed. And it was accompanied by a quote by his mother saying he deserves justice. He was a human being, a son, a brother, and a friend. He is my son and I love him. Now Reed in May of this year got into an altercation with the Indianapolis metropolitan police department in which The police department claims Reed shot at officers first and they exchanged gunfire, hitting Reed 10 times and pronouncing him dead on the scene. Now, interestingly enough, this was after a high speed police chase where he was, and I cannot make this up, live streaming his high speed police chase and giving people the roads he was on as he was in this high-speed police chase. Now, apparently, they try to pull him over for reckless driving. That ensued a chase. They say they found a gun on him that was tied to two recent drive-by shootings in the area and that his phone location 
proved that he was on the scene of one of those drive-bys, at least one of them. Now, this has caused a lot of uproar because, like, it's the NFL and the NFL's fans are, well, you know, you know, right? Know what? Look, there's a good chunk of them that are also, let's say, Trump supporters. Oh, you mean that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so there was a lot of, oh, look at the NFL honoring criminals and being anti-police. And it's been a lot of uproar. So originally a Colts player was supposed to use that decal in a game. And because of some of this backlash, the Colts later on said, we removed his name from the decal. And instead, the player, which is linebacker Matthew Adams, Matthew Adams wore a helmet decal that just said stop hate. All the other helmet decals for the most part are victims names. So like there's a George Floyd decal. There is a Brianna Taylor decal. There was a Drayshawn Reed decal that was originally supposed to be wore, but instead they wore one that said stop hate. Where are you feeling about this, Demarcus? We should stop hate, but uh, we need to talk about this case a little bit more, um, and kind of the NFL's process for choosing the names of these people. I mean, you know, when we first talked about this story, I read it. You sent me the link. I read it, and I said, "Well, what's the what's the redeemable part? Where's the redemption story?" And there is none. The NFL. Well, this Drayshon, Drayshon. Trace John, I think that's how you say it, is sounds like not an innocent victim whatsoever, um, nor a victim of brutality or anything. If it is true that he evaded arrest and was waving a gun, and that gun was probably used in several drive-by shootings, I don't think he is the poster child of what a victim of police brutality looks like. I think more importantly... The NFL has to do more investigating before they put these names out there. They can't just assume, whether rightly or wrongly, that every black person shot by the police is a victim of police brutality. Now, here's the interesting part. Okay. The family and their lawyers dispute the accounts told by police officers. Of course. While we, it's undeniable he was in a high-speed chase with the police, running, evading from the police mm-hmm. because he put it on Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. And he was like, fuck, I'm looking like letting these motherfuckers catch me. He was like, I'm about to park this bitch and dip off like, <laughs> like dead ass. But like, that's also kind of fucked up and sad because these are literally this dude's final moments. It is terrible. I but wish he was still here so I could tell him how to evade that police chase. I got some tips for him. Here, here's what happened. They are saying that he did not fire at the police first. That instead, what happened was. He never shot his gun. He did not brandish his gun, even if he had a gun on him. They say they found a gun on him. The gun was moved and no longer on his person by the time it was documented. And they are saying that's because they had to remove it from his hand, even though he was dead and shot 10 times because otherwise EMTs are not allowed to show up on the scene. I'm not sure about that rule, but okay. That's what they say. So this gun that is connected to two other drive-by murders that they say he had and that he shot at the police 
were not ever documented on his body. Right? They also say two women claim that while they don't have video of the incident because they weren't close enough, they were videotaping themselves reacting to the incident. They were in the area, right? In in traffic on Michigan Road where this is happening. And they are saying they shot this man in the back for no reason. Quote, he was on the ground shaking and they still shot this man. Quote, he was murdered in this very spot. But the police story is that he shot first. Mm-hmm. I now there's Facebook live video of the chase. He runs out the car with his phone. We don't hear shots first and then a bunch of shots afterwards. I just hear an onslaught of gunshots. It just doesn't sound. It doesn't sound like he got a shot off first. Okay. But here we are. Changes things a bit. I don't think much. But now then this, this leads us to ask the question. In almost all of these instances, including the Breonna Taylor instance, their sides are always telling different stories. Um, how do we honor these people? So this is obviously complicated. Can't, yeah. How do we honor these people when we cannot confirm whose story is true? Mind you, be grand jury happened. None of the police officers were charged. Well, unsurprisingly. N- n- no. So let me let me let me get into this. So this is a difficult conversation that does require some nuance. Um, and I think in this ca- in particular this particular case for us talking about it, hopefully people can assume positive intent. So in most of the cases, the high profile police brutality cases we've heard about, the victims are certainly victims and most would agree in most cases innocent victims who weren't doing anything and certainly not anything that would require a level of violence in the case of brianna taylor for example 100 percent innocent victim emt worker came home from work tired laying in bed with her boyfriend they come in and shoot her and they're shooting back in self-defense because the police just burst in we find out the police have entered the wrong apartment. We know that from the grand jury, the cops were only, uh, essentially the grand jury only had to investigate or deliberate the bullets that missed. We know that. So the two sides telling different stories, but we know for a pretty good level of certainty, Brianna did absolutely nothing incorrect and is a 100% innocent victim. Now the cases of nuance arise when it's not exactly clear that the person was a innocent victim and often police and those who support them will paint individuals in a negative light in order to try to justify these things. Think of Trayvon Martin. Think of Michael Brown. They tried to paint them as criminals, as thugs, as whatever you want to call it in order to justify what happened. Those are obviously wrong cases where um, even if they were criminals, I'm not saying that they are, the force that was used against them was 100% incorrect. Now, this case, I think, is a little bit more complicated on face than any of the ones that we have heard about in the mainstream. I think, especially with it being, I think this is, sounds like it's pretty recent if this is all still being decided, figuring out what happened. Um, at the very minimum, if it is not clear, uh, well, number one, the NFL should obviously have someone who does some research who, both from a CYA kind of perspective, 
in their office as well as a let's find out what the people on the streets really think what they feel um and i don't think they're doing that i think they're just kind of compiling random list of names or some names that were not researched very well and trying to honor them i like the sentiment of trying to honor victims of police brutality but i think for what's happening right now in our country in this movement it is important that and this is what whether it's good or bad it's true important to have people's faces on that movement who can be widely supported very easily when you have the level of nuance and gray area that came with from the drayshawn drace john reed case that's not it, it just muddies the waters too much for i think particularly the side fighting for social justice and uh equity and all these things and i think um at the very minimum this this highlights I think what's going to be the next phase of the kind of movement that's happening, which is that companies, organizations will try um, to, at the very minimum, pay lip service to the movement, but can fail very easily and tarnish their message. So, but, but honestly, on this story, I wish there was a clear like, yeah, he did wrong. It, there's at least enough evidence to suggest that he did something wrong. Um, at least before this happened. It, now, it was the question, if he didn't shoot first, did the police use appropriate force? Well, no. Um, there obviously are other ways to arrest people besides gunfire. We've seen lots of cases where police were able to arrest people who have guns without shooting at them. So, interestingly enough, they did try to tase him while he was running. Apparently, the taser only hit his left shoulder and did not take him down. The grand jury said that the evidence that was provided made it not conclusive that he fired first. And they were submitted a video of the officers moving the gun. Even if he's guilty. Shouldn't have, yeah. The force mm-hmm. used is not not appropriate. And my my and the main thing is I wanna if we can look at the records, this is not a case I'm very familiar with, but just from what I understand, it sounds like there may have been multiple officers firing their guns but not multiple officers firing non-lethal um, ways to stop him, like more than one taser. Because it sounds like only one, one police officer was trying to tase him, didn't have very good aim, because I guess he only practices with his Glock and not his taser gun, and missed. And um, I think part of that is, to- is totally a criticism of the police system in that that is usually, for most officers, the way they like to respond um, is with their gun, more likely than not. Um, that they spend most of their time on the use of lethal force and not the use of non-lethal force. Um, now, weirdly enough, one of the officers on the scene, because his Facebook Live was active, then said, looks like this one's going to have to be a closed casket, and started laughing. No, and, and that's sad, but not surprising at all. Um, we've talked about it before on the show. It takes more time to become a barber or beautician in most states than it does to be a police officer. Some of these people are literally right out of high school. A year or two later, police officers without more than six weeks of training, no college, no exposure to other people's things, etc. And most of that training is how to use force. Chuck told Kyrie he couldn't be the smartest person in the room because he only went to college for six months. <laughs> Correct. Um, and most cops don't go to college at all. So what does that say about them? Um, and that's not to say that, and I think this is this is just should be very clear for anybody listening. And I think anyone who listens understands this from us. 
doesn't mean that we're anti-police. We're anti the police violence. Uh, don't like them because of that. Um, because police were founded in this country to be literally slave catchers to return uh, black people to their owners. They've been used mm-hmm. to enforce all kinds of racist laws for a couple hundred years now. And even to this day, they commit ridiculous amounts of violence towards black people. Even when it is on video and proven, they often suffer no punishment. I mean, things like the Supreme Court went out of its way to create qualified immunity so cops couldn't be punished. Yada, 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 yada. Uh, there's obviously a problem. I like that the NFL is trying to use their platform to do something about it. But I think takeaway from this has to be we need to know a little bit more about everything. Everybody does. All right. Let's leave it at that and move on to something a little bit lighter. So that was your tee off. Oh, spit that tea, sis. All right, all right. Let's get into the first iteration of COVID and crossovers, Demarcus. The NBA has been hit by COVID. It's official. Where do you want to start? We got a lot to get into. Well, let's start in Houston. Okay, let's start in Houston. So, First and foremost, we're recording on Wednesday. It's the 23rd. We are at the second day of the NBA regular season, and the first game has already been postponed and postponed indefinitely because the Rockets have not been able to field the eight eligible players a team needs to be able to play an NBA game this season. Right, and there are a couple different incidents that help contribute to players either breaking the protocol or having inconclusive COVID tests that will require them to stay out longer and get more tests to ensure that everyone around them is safe. Are you surprised that Houston is the first team to just have a full fucking meltdown with the protocols? Not at all. And I, my memory is a little fuzzy on this, but I want to say we joked about James Harden going to strip clubs before this ever happened. We, Yes, we did. Maybe maybe it was last week. Maybe it was we, two weeks ago. He said he'd bring the strippers to his house. We and did. he might have a standing pole. <laughs> we did. Now, of course, the story we're referring to is uh, more details have come out on Wednesday that James Harden, we thought, was at a strip club without a mask on. James released a statement via his Instagram that basically said that he went to a private dinner for a friend who got a promotion that he came in through a separate entrance, sat with his security detail, was there to give her a gift, was there for 30 minutes, and then left. That what is happened James. with little baby? I guess he said that was last week. But this <laughs> week he says he believed, James Harden says that he believed he did not break any NBA protocols, despite there being video of him handing what looks like a piece of luggage as a gift to this woman with no mask on. So as much as he can say he wore a mask and did all these things, I have video proof of you, I believe from this week, not last week, this week, of no mask on in an establishment with another group of people who you do not live with. And even if, like, even if he thought this was somehow just within the borders of the protocol, James need to use common sense. Like, you shouldn't be seeing random people, whether or not they're friends, send her a gift, send your emissary, whatever you need to do, and stay at home. The league is taking this 
relatively seriously. It became very clear that because of his violation of the protocol, Harden would not be able to play on Wednesday. And more importantly, the length of time which he would not be able to play is currently undetermined. We do know the league has individually fined him $50,000 and that the Rockets, and this is the really important part, for every game that Harden is not able to play because of this violation, the Rockets can fine him up to $284,000. Right. That's the amount I believe he makes for every A game. game. Yeah. Right. So, um, and I think they sh- they're right and well within their rights to do that. I mean, players are not taking this seriously enough, even still, now that we're nine, was it nine months into this basically? Been going on since March. From the time that Rudy Gobert got it and literally shut down the league, James should be well aware of the serious nature of the pandemic and what he's costing his team. Now, we don't know his exact length um, of like, he's not going to be able to, to play, but if it's at least as long as his previous COVID protocol violation, it's at least six days, right? Six, they didn't require six back-to-back days with positive tests. Or negative tests. Yes. Um, but that puts us at some time next year before, really, before James Harden plays again. It, we, I told you about that. It is functionally eight days. Remember, I said think about eight mm-hmm. days without LeBron because after you get back, you still have to practice for two days with a mask on the entire time mm-hmm. and not in partially separated distance from your teammates before you can get back on the floor. Now, I don't think it'll be a problem for James. He don't really <laughs> pass the ball no way. So, uh, except for he threw it at one of his rookies' heads this week. Uh, and I will say that it was probably not accidental. <laughs> um, and so that won't be a problem for him. Now, the problem for Houston is that the James Harden situation is not the only one that caused them to have players that were ineligible for Wednesday's night game. Houston also had three positive tests. Right. Three of them. Among the positive tests was Kenyon Martin Jr. And he was with John Wall and Boogie and some other players all in one player's apartment. And I cannot make this up. Getting haircuts. I've heard the same story. You got to be crispy for your first night, you know. Y'all all get your haircut by the same nigga. Even if you did, I would hope that he would just visit each of them individually, not gather them all in one place. Stop it, DeMarcus. You know how niggas are about getting their hair cut and how particular they are about who cuts their hair and how black men in particular keep the same barber for like a decade. Am Uh, I making any of this up? You not? So all of y'all niggas were somehow in the same apartment getting your hair cut? Probably without mask on, I'm assuming as well. They can't gather at all. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm saying that's why I would hope the barber would visit each of them individually. Now, from what I understand, Kenyon Martin Jr. Um, had previously had a negative test before this haircut appointment. This barber. I want to make a joke, but I can't think of one. I'll come back to that later. This Kenyon barber appointment. There, there you go. That, that'll work. <laughs> that'll work. And... The problem now is that he has had a negative test and a positive test, so now it's inconclusive, and he has to keep having more negative tests in order for it to be more conclusive and therefore make him eligible again. And but well, close contacts half the fucking team 
because they were all in the same apartment. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna oh. we're gonna talk about this a little later. But what is the NBA gonna do about these postponed games in a season that has already been shortened and is already working on a super tight timeline? Over under nineteen and a half for games that get canceled or postponed this season. I'm thinking over. Ooh, there's 72 games. There are 30 teams. You're saying that maybe, maybe half the teams get at least one game canceled. You're already at 15, 20 right there. And that's not, that's not a lot to say one game. Cause look at Houston. What ha- what's happening. They could easily have to postpone the next two or three games if they don't have enough eligible players. And we only need what 15 more or whatever or 17 more to get over the 20 mark and it's just december all right um i'll ask you a little bit harder of a question than over under on 39.5 mm, i may take the under so i'm i may say between 20 and 40 games okay um i think and i'll talk about this in a little bit in the prediction section but i think what'll end up happening you know or we all know the nba has shortened the season to 72 games Right now, the way the schedule works out, I believe game seven of the NBA Finals, if needed, would take place on like, I want to say it's like July 18th or some somewhere in there. And the opening ceremony for the Tokyo Olympics is, I believe, July 23rd. So less than a week after the probable game seven date is the start of the Olympics, which I know the NBA, we know the NBA has wanted to make sure the season ends before then so that their players would be eligible to go. And right now, that's looking real rough because if they have to extend the season at all, they're pushing up against that very closely. They've already had players, I believe, was it Dame, who said if they are in the finals or win the finals, he's definitely not going. Most of the people who make make the finals or in the finals just won't play. Right, right. But that's probably only like a handful of teams, really. Dame's yeah. probably not going to be in the final. So... I mean, with the exception of a couple of teams, there's going to be real major problems for most of, or a good amount of the NBA at least, on finishing the season up on time to make sure that they don't run up against the Olympics, which they're already pressing up so close against already. And so I think it'll definitely be something to watch. I'm not sure what they have planned for the end of the season, but unless, you know, they want to avoid delays like this again when it comes to the playoffs, like, could you imagine the playoffs being delayed because well, James Harden went to the strip club and you delaying a whole set of games there. That means you can't have that. You can't finish that round, came on to the next round, et cetera, et cetera. And so I would really, I did like to see maybe the NBA do a bubble for the playoffs only again. They, they, they won't do it. They won't, but that's obviously the best scenario to make sure that everyone's following the protocol and they get through the playoff schedule on time. So I think instead of that, they're really just hoping that the vaccine situation gets the entire issue under hold. So recently, there's been some conversations a lot just about in general. Can your employer force you or their employees to take the COVID vaccine? Yeah. And I think this is just not a question only for the NBA or any sports fan but anyone who has a job in this country. Um, and I think, you know, from the research I've done, which I'm no lawyer, but I, I know I know a little bit, um, 
the basic gist is, yes, employers can force employees to get the vaccine, but there are two nuances to that. The first is that they can only force it once the FDA has fully authorized the vaccine. As of December 2020, they have given emergency use authorization to two vaccines, but they have not done the full authorization. That's likely to come in the next few months, probably during the spring. The second, of course, is that the employer cannot mandate an employee get the vaccine if the employee is a part of a collectively bargained union, which the NBA players are. Indeed, Adam Silver was interviewed by Stephen A. Smith this week. He made a couple things very clear. The first is that the NBA has no plans to jump the line in like accessing vaccines, etc., stating that the vast majority of their players are extremely healthy and are not in high-risk areas for COVID. The second and more important is that he says, based off the current collective bargaining agreement, the NBA does not have the power to mandate players take the vaccine and that he is just hoping that when things get to that point, that players will make the good decision for the league themselves, their families, and their teams to get vaccinated. And that automatically brought me back to like a little bit pre-bubble Michael Porter Jr. Snapchat Q&A in which he says COVID is being used to control the population and that he has, and I quote, I've never been vaccinated in my life. I've never had any shots or anything like that. And he does not plan to be vaccinated at all. He even went as far as to say, because of this virus, the whole world is being controlled. You're required to wear a mask. And who knows what will happen when this vaccine comes out. You might have to have the vaccine in order to travel. That'd be crazy. That would not be crazy. <laughs> that would not be crazy. First off, I'm going to Chuck from uh, a quote from Chuck. Uh, young man, um, you are not the smartest person in the room. He's probably read these things on social media, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever. And um, it's not crazy whatsoever. Now, I, I, me personally, I have a totally different approach to this. Uh, vaccinations are great. I think uh, it's fantastic. Um, I can say to the, the people at home listening, I get all my vaccinations, not just this COVID one. When the COVID one's available, as soon as they say I can get it, I'm going to be in line trying to figure out where I can get it. I am planning on traveling. Uh, once they have this vaccine, like Jack Harlow say, you know, once they get this vaccine, I'm about to, you know, be globetrotting. But all that said, Michael Porter Jr. needs to sit down somewhere. Um, I think the NBA will not force players to get it, but I think just like the rest of the country, the NBA is going to need uh, what we call herd immunity. They need a large percentage of the players and coaches and staff to get the vaccine or have immunity from COVID in order to ensure they can move on with the rest of the season with as few hurdles as possible. And right now we're thinking herd immunity is like 80% of people ish, depending on, for, especially for NBA for the country, it's about 70 because people have had COVID and recovered, but you're saying 70 to 80% of the people in the country and in the NBA need to get vaccinated or have had COVID in order for us to kind of move on and get back to normal. So Michael Porter Jr. can say he doesn't want to get vaccinated, but there's no chance he's going to stop being controlled by not getting the vaccine. And FYI, yeah, people are controlled by things. The vaccine is not a particularly designed tool to do that. Neither is COVID. There are lots of other things that control people that he should take some time to learn about, maybe go back to college. 
before he starts commenting on all these issues. Damn, baby, go back to college. Get your shit off, DeMarcus. I mean, this is just like a bigger problem in the country of people who are not experts in things trying to dismiss the work of experts who spent decades researching this with little to no evidence. And it's like annoying because he is an NBA player. Young people will listen to him. They will think the same thing. He will make it harder for other people to be convinced to get the vaccine, etc. Okay. Look, speaking of young people making terrible decisions regarding COVID, let's get into Dwayne Haskins. Ah, this young man. He has made some big mistakes. Was this a week ago? Mm-hmm. Right after his loss to the Seattle Seahawks. You know, the guy who high draft pick loses their starting job to Kyle Allen becomes third quarterback on the depth chart and because of injuries gets vaulted back into the starting role beats the undefeated Steelers mm-hmm. right like this, this like things are trending up right roller loses coaster close game to the Seahawks is in position to continue starting for the team because like Alex Smith plays on one real leg and, like, the other one is, like, surgically reconstructed and is, like, having cramps and shit. Quite literally. Like, yeah. Like 18 like, surgeries. <laughs> so, like, in a literal sense, he goes from, like, third string quarterback, complete bust, to getting a chan- another chance to prove himself. And he has recently been fined, removed from his role as team captain, because he was photographed at an event with... Nigga, can you guess it? Yeah, I love them strippers. You know they love them strippers. (laughs) You know they love them strippers. They just can't help themselves, my nigga. Like, so photographed at an event with strippers while also not wearing the mask. So you got all the sweat from the booty cheeks clapping up, putting the particles (laughs) in the air. He's breathing in the booty cheek particles, nigga. It's insane. You know what I hear when you say that? You know, in the boondocks, the the, uh, the song Booty Butt Cheeks? <laughs> That's all I can hear playing in my head. It's like, Booty Butt Cheeks? <laughs> Anyways, keep keep going. Keep going. So, my man's just out here breathing in the booty che- the booty butt cheek articles. And just like, all types of not safe. It was fine $40,000. And it's weird because they can't really suspend him, DeMarcus. They... There's been some, like, it's weird. They can't suspend him because who is then the quarterback? Do they want to go out like the Broncos and have no quarterback on the roster? Think they, about it. I'm sure they have a practice squad player they could call up. He might they look terrible. They are on their third string quarterback right now. What? So it was Alex Smith, Dwayne Kyle Haskins, Allen. Kyle Allen. And the, is Colt McCoy still around? Uh, I don't know. I thought he was the other No, Colt McCoy, play, I thought he uh, is on the Giants now. Oh, is he? I don't know. I don't keep with the word of backups very often. But anyways. So it's it's, it's like he's he's third string, dude. I guess they could fine him heavily. And when who, they only find him $40,000. I think on a rookie contract, that's a, that's a little bit much. It's not a ton for it's a like high draft game pick, check. But that's that's a good amount to yeah. find someone. Um. I think next time they should obviously give it a warning of if you do this again before the season is over, which is like three weeks, two weeks, uh, we're taking a whole game check and you will get, you will get set. Yeah. But Alex Smith still hasn't been able to practice all the way. So like they need him right now. He's in a situation where they need him. Well, they could make the playoffs very easily. So they absolutely need him. They are in the driver's seat. They are currently in the playoffs, right? 
Right. They, it's their spot to lose because someone has to win in the NFC lease. So like they need him. And he's quoted saying, I need to step up to the plate. I can't be selfish. I need to stop getting in my own way. I'm putting things in motion as far as a plan for myself to be a better teammate and be more accountable and fix my issues that have brought me to this situation. Well, in this case, it's not just that he should be all those things, less selfish, more accountable, et cetera. But as the quarterback of a football team, you're supposed to not just be those things, a good teammate. You're supposed to be a leader. You're supposed to be the player who keeps other people in line or inspires them to work harder to make your team better. And not only has he not looked great on the football field, but now this he looks horrible off the football field, too, in that not only is you not, are you not a leader, but you're actively doing things that make you and your team look worse. You can't be a bust and an asshole. Right. Can't be both. You got to pick one. Um, and I'd rather you be an asshole. Um, but as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I'd rather you be a bust, you know. But in reality, rather you be an asshole and be good and have potential because we don't talk about this enough anymore. But having a black quarterback in the NFL is still a relatively new thing. Uh-huh. And a big, big kind of um, criticism whether right or wrong for a lot of black men who wanted to play quarterback before was that they didn't have the intangibles, the leadership, the yada, yada, yada. They don't uh, stay long enough in the film room. They don't, you know, read, read plays the right way, whatever it is. Their score is too low as right. if that's a good metric. So they basically said you are dumb um, and we can't trust you to be well-behaved off the field. And that's not true, obviously for in, at least not in every case. And but in the case of Dwayne Haskins, he is furthering what I would call a stereotype. And as a black man, you can do a lot of things, but please don't do that. We've had to fight a lot to get where people where we are. You know, we've kind of reached, I think, critical mass of black quarterbacks in the NFL. You have more than you think you ever have. You have obviously Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes. You have Watson. Right, right. Like you have tons and tons of guys. Lamar Jackson. Cam Newton, Uh et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a quarter of the league, I think, is about that is has black quarterbacks as basically the franchise quarterback. Right. And so, Dwayne, don't don't mess that up. Like, don't you you playing with the money and you can't be playing with the money. And this is the worst part. So a lot of ex players are calling for him to be cut completely. And this is because and this might be the most important part. The coach of the Washington football team literally just survived cancer. He's currently now in remission. He has an extremely weak immune system. Exactly. Right. And everybody knows it. Like it was he was he was getting IVs in the middle of games during halftime. halftime. Right. So he yes. can keep coaching because he's so fatigued. Yes. It's, so like not only are you jeopardizing this on like a regular scale, the head of your team, the coach that leads all of you all, like think about how much interaction he has to have. They have to talk. I mean, most young people, this is the the problem. They only think about themselves and think about if they get COVID, what the impact will be, but not what if I'm exposed to it and become a asymptomatic spreader of COVID before I know that I get it. And in fact, lots of people around me, some who are immunocompromised and cannot just get it and be fine in 10 days or two weeks or whatever, that will be quite frankly, very likely in the hospital on a ventilator and might die. And athletes have to at least begin to understand 
that these are life and death decisions for the people they work with. If there's a coach, a trainer, uh, whoever who's older or who has a condition that maybe the player doesn't even know about, right? They could put their life in jeopardy easily. Yeah, but this one was super known. Like they rang a it's bell egregious. with the entire team when he was finally in remission, which happened like three weeks ago. Like it wasn't very long ago. Mm-hmm. Like, and he already got in trouble once this season. Exactly for trying to basically. I don't. I don't, I don't want to use the word sneak because that probably gives him too much credit. He just made an open reservation for somebody like a family member who he said they were mm-hmm, at the ho- at the team hotel, which is against the rules. No, I, I, he knew better. Mm-hmm. He knew better. So I think luckily the NFL season is close to being done. And so we won't have much of this more from them. And I would think for the playoffs, people will take it a little bit more seriously because there are big incentives for playing in playoff games and reaching the Super Bowl. So maybe those incentives will help keep the players in line versus um, the punishments right now. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. Let's get into the fly route for this week. You know, Christmas episode, holiday themed fly route for you all this week. But instead of the traditional Christmas fly route, we want to give you a Krampus fly route. And for everybody who doesn't know what Krampus is, are you familiar with Krampus, Demarcus? A little bit. You know, he's the half man, half go monstrosity that comes around every year to chase naughty children and possibly lash them with his chains and bring them down to the underworld. So. Ah, I see. I was always a very well-behaved child, you know. I actually believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why wouldn't you? (laughs) Would you believe that if I said that? Nah. Exactly. I also know it was not the case. so. (laughs) So. What's the fly route for Trevor Lawrence? Because either way, he's kind of fucked. So which of these Krampuses are going to drag Trevor Lawrence into the underworld? And which should he prefer? The Jets or the Jags? So I am very much clear on this. I think it's the Jags. He should prefer the Jags. There are a few reasons for this. Part of it is where it's located. It is not far from where he's grown up. He went to high school in Centersville, Georgia. He's played his college ball in South Carolina at Clemson. And so moving down to the Jaguars in the Florida Panhandle, right, is not that in Jacksonville, is not a big move at all. It allows him to continue playing in warm weather. He's never played in the cold before, as far as I know. Um, And so playing in New York in the winter would be a big adjustment, I think, for him. I think... Um, having his family be closer by, be able to come to more games. Um, those are the kind of like on the surface things. A little bit deeper, New York is New York. It is one of the media capitals of the world. And a lot of players know that when they go to New York, they're going to be scrutinized to no end. This is part of the reason why Eli Manning worked so well in New York. He did not care about any of the scrutiny. He had the same kind of resting face the entire time, no matter what was going on. Good, bad, and different, he was the same. I'm not sure that most players are built that way. And as a young player like Trevor Lawrence, who's recently come out and talked about some of the attention that he's been getting for a long time now, because essentially since he was a high school senior, people have been saying he's gonna be, you know, the self, the anointed 
number one NFL draft pick. And so I would think already having that kind of pressure and attention of playing at Clemson, winning national titles, that kind of thing, you want to at least start your NFL career off without all the same attention because less attention is going to be good. You're allowed to make your mistakes and learn from them without 100,000 people calling for your job every week or asking or chanting the name of your backup. And we know the fans in New York would do that. We know they would. And I think Jacksonville being Jacksonville, um, both not being New York and also being a much smaller place closer to family is going to be good. But I think the most important thing here is the division they play in. So the Jaguars are in the AFC South with the Colts, the Titans, and the Texans. With the exception of the Texans, no other team in that division has their franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. And even the Texans who have him are currently 4-10 and and have not looked great. And so being on the Jaguars, if you can get some pieces around him on that rookie deal, then you put yourself in a good position to be competitive in this division in the next two to three years which is, I think, what anyone picking that high wants to be. They want to win the division and get to the playoffs. New York, I don't see the same thing happening. New York is New York. It's been dysfunctional for a long time. As of the recording of this show, Adam Gase still has a job. Obviously, that should not be the case. And they've had problems with the GM. They somehow made Le'Veon Bell look bad. You know, they have been dysfunctional for a very long time. They had a couple years in the late 2000s with Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez and all those folks. But besides that, the Jets have not been very successful for a very long time. The Jags, on the other hand, have looked like a competently run organization very recently, making an AFC championship game. They did at least, you know, on paper, make the right move by trying to get Nick Foles. It didn't work out because of injury, but they have done some competent things that the Jets... You've only talked shit about Nick Foles and how he's not that guy. He's not that guy, but... but, All podcast long, and now you want to say they made the oh right move God. by going for him? I can say he's not a franchise quarterback, but that Jacksonville made the best move for them by signing him. Really? Yeah, well, the answer is not Gardner Minshew or, or whoever. It clearly was, over, even when Nick Foles got healthy. Well, that you know that changed things. You got to come back from injury. You know, it's Look, a little different. I held my tongue on a lot of things, DeMarcus. You did. That one, I cannot. Go, but go ahead. You, you obviously disagree with me. Look, why I, do you think he should go to the Jets? I do agree that New York media market is heavy, but you said it. He's had this attention forever, and especially the last couple years. And what we have seen is he can handle it. He can. He can handle it. So why would he be afraid of that attention? Most importantly, right, is that it looks like both of these teams will be heading towards a rebuild of their front office and head coach this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. Can we, we can both agree on that. After firing the D coordinator, you're probably firing Gase who hired him and you should probably fire Gase anyway. They need to clean right? house. Jets, Jets can totally clean house and that would not be a problem whatsoever. Yeah. And we already know that Jacks have already started their process of cleaning house. So then that makes you ask the question, which of these franchises can Garner the best talent to rebuild their organization, both from a personnel standpoint as well as like a culture standpoint, coaching standpoint, etc. And I think that media market, that money, that prestige of being in New York versus Jacksonville is going to be the better package for building something that can make Trevor Lawrence successful. 
free agents don't want to go to Jacksonville. People have been actively trying to get out of Jacksonville, although that's not much different than the Jets, Jamal Adams, right? But I think the also benefit of the fact that Sam Darnold gets moved when you come in means that they have even more picks to set you up in a good fashion. Those are the two things for me right now that are making me lean towards the Jets. So I think you're right. Darnold getting moved would get them more assets, but Darnold, the Darnold situation is why I wouldn't want to go there because they had a high draft pick who was a highly touted quarterback who people saw as being a franchise quarterback in the NFL. They, many people thought Darnold was the best quarterback. They thought he was the most NFL ready, et cetera, et cetera. And the Jets have fumbled that like no other. Um, the, you're assuming they clear house, though. You're assuming they clear house, but you've got to wonder what inside the organization, from the top down, including the owner, did not put in place a plan to create a system for your young quarterback. Because most people, well, they, they get put their, in a plan that was a bad plan. Was, they hired Adam Gase. <laughs> they hired a GM who hired Adam Gase, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that being so recent, at least in my mind, I got to think if I'm Trevor Lawrence, his agent, his family what is the chance that the owner of the Jets gets it right this time? I know the owner of the Jags, uh, Shad Khan, has done everything in his power to try to make that team good. Hasn't worked out always, but he has done everything in his power. Um, the last regime under Tom Coughlin didn't end great, but I think he put it together a, a good enough plan to give them a chance. And I think he can do it again this coming up offseason. I, I think the idea that just because the Jets clean house you want to go there is is wrong. I think a few things happen in New York over the next couple of years. I think we're seeing and we have seen in 2020, Daniel Jones is going to be at least a height, if not good. They got Saquon Barkley. The Giants are going to be the team that they share a stadium with in the same city and are very likely to be a competent team here in the next couple of years in the NFC East. Though they're not good this year. I think the It helps that they, they play in different divisions. So different like, conferences and divisions but in the city the media will compare them the media will compare trevor lawrence to daniel jones and how his first couple years looked and not saying that trevor lawrence can't handle it right but it is always easier when you don't have to handle it and you can focus on that type of pressure is inevitable baker mayfield played in cleveland and got that type of pressure um yes he did get the kind of pressure in cleveland but also the number one pick can't avoid it. Partly because he runs his mouth. I have not seen Trevor Lawrence either in college like Baker did, because Baker ran his mouth in college. This is nothing new. Planting the flag. Planting the flag, running around the stadium, <laughs> you know, throwing up signs. I have not seen that kind of behavior from Trevor Lawrence. I think, of course, he's the number one draft pick. He's going to get a lot of scrutiny. But there just are less media people in Jacksonville. There are less people who are like Jets fans. <laughs> Let's be honest. Um, who are devoted, et cetera, to the team in the way, in that same way and vocal and particularly pessimistic. I think if I'm Trevor Lawrence, I want to go to the Jags for all the reasons I said, including who you're playing in your division, the weather, family, et cetera. I think in that scenario, it kind of creates a complete package for him. I mean, you know, you're going to a bad team. So that's, that's going to be clear. But at least in Jacksonville, I think I can go to a bad team and have time to grow without all the scrutiny. Because even though he's been good, he's been touted as a number one pick, you still want everyone. I've not seen anyone come into the league and not have any struggles whatsoever. I just think the scrutiny is inevitable. 
Okay. And I'm not sure that most importantly, I'm not, I'm just not confident in what Jacksonville can put together. Like, yes, the Jets shedded some big talent this year, right? But fuck, Jacksonville has for the past couple of years, people have wanted out, out. So I think it's for different reasons. Um, in New York, you have them shedding big talent from Sheldon Richardson to Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell. Oh, for, for except with the exception of Le'Veon, for most of those guys, they were drafted by the Jets as first or second round draft picks. They played well up to their draft selection or overperformed, and they wanted to get paid. And the way that the NFL works, it's set up so that teams want to hit on their draft picks and then pay those guys and keep developing more draft picks. Well, if the Jets keep getting guys highly in the draft and then they don't want to pay them, that doesn't bode well for draft picks or free agents because you cannot count on the team to treat you like you feel you should be treated after you perform for them. That is part of the reason why Jamal Adams wanted to leave. He felt that he had far outplayed his rookie contract. He was considered probably the best safety in the league. And it was at the point where he could get another contract and renegotiate. And he felt that he should. And the Jets said, no, and they would rather have traded he still him. Still had time on that contract. It wasn't no. like they let his contract. Expire. No, 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 no. But he wanted an extension. He wanted to know to him. He wanted his extension early. That's mm-hmm. that. That that's a very key thing. It's not like they refused to pay him. No, no, no. Yeah. He tried to pull a Zeke. He wanted to get paid early. He didn't want to get paid early, and I thought he deserved to get paid early. Sure, that's fair. Um, and I think, but even if that's the dispute, you let that escalate so badly that Adam Gase he, is really bad at his job, and so is the GM who apparently promised Adams that they get it done that season and then reneged on the promise. If, but if you're, I'm the owner, why don't I step in then? Obviously, my employees are not capable of handling this. I think this guy is critical to the future of our franchise. Why don't I tell my employees to do something and they do it? Generally, by the time things get to the owner like that, they are probably out of control. The owner is more likely to hear it from the media than they are the player. Most players oh, don't have yeah. that direct of a Either, line to I would, Well, I would hope the GM would fucking say something. Unless the GM was like, we aren't going to pay this dude. There's no reason to escalate it. Yeah. Same guy that hired Adam Gase. I wonder who the president of the team is. Well, I'll look into this a little later. But uh, I like where we're at, though. I will I will admit that like now, both options are terrible. It could be a moot point because whoever gets the number one draft pick is going to take him. And we'll see who Justin Fields wants to avoid. Well, it's, it's going to be one of these teams. Oh, almost certainly. Gallus, 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 Playboy. Let's get into our Sherlock Woad segment. We've been picking up the breadcrumbs, putting the clues together. Oh, Demarcus Watson. See what I did there? I see. I see. All right. Let's get started with, I said this as soon as Paul George signed his contract extension, right? Big fucking money, Paul. Is that his nickname? How funny. Look, way off P, playoff P, no. big money, Paul. Okay, go, Look, go ahead. How funny would it be if Kawhi Leonard left the Clippers with the Paul George bag and just dipped? Listen, I've been saying he's going to leave for a while now. I, I've been on this. Look, he was asked about Paul George's contract recently and how that affects his contract coming up with his player option and everything else. And 
we might just be reading too far into this, but let me share with you all the breadcrumbs he let us follow. Um, I mean, I spoke to Paul. He, he felt comfortable. Uh, you know, um, he felt comfortable here. Um, he he loves the city. Um, he's obviously from here. Um, you know, so I, I think uh, you know, for for from his standpoint, he did a great job of you know coming to me and and telling me how he feels before he signs the contract. Uh, just for my situation right now, and, uh, I'm just focused on this season. You know what I mean. Um, uh, not saying I'm going anywhere else or staying here, but uh, I'm just focused on the season. And you know, obviously, for uh, you know, if, if I stay healthy, um, the best decision is to decline a player option. But that doesn't mean I'm, I'm leaving or staying. I'm focused on the season, like I said. We'll talk about that uh, when the time is right. So, much like Kawhi, I like to have options as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought. And particularly the end of that clip, he was very frank and direct and said, listen, the assessment of my situation is this. If I am healthy come June or July, the best thing for me is going to be to opt out and get a new contract. Not saying he's leaving, but to opt out. Uh Now, the reason that players, I think, and owners have shifted to having these shorter contracts is because, well, for the players, it ensures the team stays on their, their toes right? That you can leverage them pretty in the short term, pretty easily. He said something but that was really telling to me. Paul felt comfortable here. Paul felt comfortable. If It made sense for him because he felt comfortable. If, it sounds very dejected from mm-hmm. the situation. Mm-hmm. He's like, he did a very good job telling me that he felt comfortable and that he wanted to stay. It wasn't like we are comfortable here. It wasn't like I'm comfortable here. It, none of that. It was the furthest thing you could say. Paul felt comfortable. Paul signed his contract. It was so third person <laughs> um, and emotionless, which is not crazy from Kawhi. But I think his assessment of his situation is very frank and correct. Um, I think, like I predicted before, and we can see if I'm right about this, that he could just be very unhappy with what Paul George does in the season, the, the regular season and playoffs this year, and say, mm, this team is not going to get over the top. Let me leave. And that is not an unrealistic thing that could happen whatsoever. And now that they have given Paul George the bag, which, I mean. They had to. Um, eventually, yes. Did they have to do it before the season started? I do not think so. I think giving it to him before the season started was, was, was best for Paul George, not what was best for the Clippers. No, I think it's best for the Clippers because worst thing comes to worst. The Clippers can always trade Paul George and get some value back for the haul they gave away from him. It'll never be equal to what they gave up because they gave up a King's ransom. But locking him in for five years is huge because now you have a long-term Paul George contract to trade. Even if Kawhi is like, you know what? Actually, I do want to stay in LA. I do like staying in the Clippers. But get this nigga Paul out of here. Now they can get back way better and way, way more if Kawhi ends up being like, I want to stay, but like he was, I won't sign my contract with you all unless you bring Paul George. Mm-hmm. I won't sign my contract unless you get this nigga the fuck up out of here. Like, like even back then when we talked about that. I talked about, listen, when I, I, you have that much leverage over a team, that does not change. So I could easily see Kawhi being like, I'm Batman and this Robin's not working. I need me a new Robin. So sign Paul George because like it lets you trade for a better Robin. Um, 
I'm not sure who that is or what that looks like. It's just about but, thesis of value but, and where they're at. I think, a, but a big part of that, of course, depends on how Paul George plays. Um, I, and also, I'm very confused on what his situation was to begin with. Because if I remember correctly, Paul had gotten to OKC and just signed a contract when he got there, right? He got to OKC, played a year, then extended his contract. And then he, uh, I want to say he was traded on that contract, basically. But was his contract about to expire after this year? He was in the same situation as Kawhi Leonard, where he had a play uh, option. Okay, okay. So I guess that makes some sense, what you're, you're kind of played out there, but... Yes, they could functionally lose him for nothing if they didn't sign him now. Right. But why couldn't you wait to halfway through the season to sign him? It, why wait if you are the Clippers? It doesn't make sense if you are the Clippers because you could only lose Paul George. I guess. But if I'm if I'm them, I'm like, he's with me through this year. I can sign him at some point during the year. I can see how he plays. Why wait for any of that? It doesn't matter how he plays. However he plays. Because I give him less you, money. Because it's an easier contract to move if it's smaller later on. It's a player option. So well, no, no. I mean, I mean the extension. Paul George is going to take less than the max. I guess. From, from, from the Clippers? He has them over a barrel because of how much they gave up for him. That, okay, that's he's, true. He's going to get that money no matter what. He's Paul George. If he doesn't get it from the Clippers, I bet fucking Charlotte will give it to him. <laughs> they just gave yeah. it to Gordon Hayward. So, like, you understand what I'm saying? Paul George commands that money. He is Paul George. I guess that's fair. But more importantly, you know, Paul George had his big opening night game. And after the game, inside the NBA, you know, our favorites, Shaq, Chuck, Kenny, mm-hmm. Ernie, they had a pretty good question for him. And his answer was quite telling. Let me play some of this for you all. You know, Paul, I hate when guys come out and talk about double standard for players when, when they get traded uh, and things like that. Do you think there was a disconnect? with preferential treatment for you and Kawhi last year. That was the rumors. We don't know what's true, but there was a lot of stuff said that you guys got. We don't know what's true. That was the rumors. Why Chuck try to be diplomatic in this shit? Well, hey, look, nigga, we heard. <laughs> I think as a former star, Chuck knows it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, Chuck, Chuck did something very similar. He forced his way out of a team because they weren't doing so hot. He wanted a better chance. Facts, facts. Uh, preferential treatment. Was that... Was that true or not true? Uh, I mean, as you know, Charles, the dudes that put in the work, uh, that built themselves up to be where they're at, um, it's a reason they get to that level. They know what they need, uh, and they know what makes them play at a high level. So um, whoever that offends, you know, we ain't have that issue right now in this locker room. So, Is that Paul? Yes, nigga. That is Paul opening night. No, Paul can't say that. Kawhi can say that. Paul can't Paul say said that. it. And he said these niggas in this locker room do not have a problem with it. Which, A, why the fuck did Paul George take the bait? He shouldn't have taken the bait, nor should he have spoken for his teammates. And B, that would that sound like a shot at Trez. Who left? Almost certainly it is. Okay. And, but we know the rumors did not just cite Trez. They cited Lou Will. Mm-hmm. They cited Pat Bev. Mm-hmm. And they cited Trez. So, uh, look, Kenny actually said something after this that I was like, yeah, I wonder how Pat Bev and Lou Will feel right now. 
Well, no, no, but honestly, I, that, that's, that's comical to me to hear that. If I was on the poll team, I would feel upset. But anyway. Kenny, Kenny is absolutely correct. I would feel upset, nigga. Because you don't know how I feel. Have you? I, I doubt. I highly doubt that Paul has walked up to Lou Will or Pat Bev and is like, yo, I heard these rumors from the LA Times reporter, right? They said, y'all said these things. Which one of y'all said this? I doubt that Paul has been that confrontational with his teammates. And I doubt, I highly doubt that Pat Bev would lie to his face. I think Pat Bev would not say something directly, but if asked by Paul in private, I think he would tell him the truth. Look, this is great because it seems like Paul doesn't know when to not talk anymore. Oh, no, not at all. He says all the wrong things at all the wrong times. And I think this is going to be something that might become a continual distraction and issue for the Clippers this season. Yeah, of course, because I think the rest of the team does have a problem with him. And Kawhi is so different in that he will say only the bare minimum. He never says more than you need to. He doesn't answer questions Paul that are too controversial. Obviously, Paul feels comfortable <laughs> because he's answering questions like that. And Kenny was right. It is comical. Yo, Paul felt comfortable. <laughs> okay, in other Kawhi Leonard news, have you heard that the NBA is investigating uh, the Clippers for tampering. I have. I, I watched Adam Silver get interviewed by uh, Rachel Nichols about this on ESPN. What's your take? Um, I don't think there's much to it. I don't think it is real. I don't think there will be a punishment handed down. I think the NBA got a allegation that at on face at least seemed credible, but they had to investigate, but look at what the claims that are made in the report. It's like Kawhi, like things that Kawhi wanted. It's just like the person has but, basically said they are suing the Clippers and particularly the Clippers consulted Jerry West mm-hmm. because functionally they said I was a consultant with personal ties to Kawhi Leonard and I gave them the roadmap on how to get him to sign with the Clippers. Yeah, right. exactly. And I don't think that anything like that, that this possible consultant could have said, even if they do have a relationship, was unique information that was not known about Kawhi already. What if, they, what if this person is personally connected to Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard's team, and his, he's basically said, I wanna, I'm a consultant for you all. These are the things you need to tell Kawhi to get Kawhi to come here. This is what Kawhi wants. This is what Kawhi uh-huh. wants to hear. And if I give you all the information you need to wow Kawhi Leonard in this meeting, I want $2.5 million. Right, right. But here's, well, first I would say, where's your contract? Because I doubt that in California, a verbal agreement is enforceable as a contract. Okay. The second thing that would standing, I would talk about is what information was given and was not information that a personal contact would likely know or say. And the short answer from everything that I've heard is no, it is common information that any NBA fan and certainly in, in any NBA insider would know about and would be common in any free agency meeting. That is what I've heard about the information that was given that allegedly given, I guess I should say. And I don't think based on what I've heard that this is very credible unless I'm going to hear more. It comes out about this later on. Okay. Kawhi commented on it. He was basically like, look, you know, the city and you know, niggas is grimy. He's right. He was just like, people do anything they can for a come up out here. You know you know what it is. And what did you expect from Kawhi? You, you, 
probably than this. I'm surprised. Well, that was actually more than I expected. Yeah. Yeah, that was more than I expected. <laughs> but is he wrong or inaccurate in any way? Absolutely not. We've seen some of the things. But the biggest point here is if you want to know what Kawhi wants, there's only one person to talk to. Kawhi? No, Uncle Dennis. <laughs> it's not some random <laughs> random person, the consultant. If I want to know what he wants, it's going to be Uncle Dennis. And there were reports that came out earlier uh, but, uh, when this, uh, after the deal got signed that Uncle Dennis asked for ridiculous things in some of these meetings. And that was very credible and reasonable that he was there and would ask these things and that teams had to say no. Or at least, you know, wink, wink, we got to say no in this meeting because this is literally against the CBA rules. Yeah, like yachts, apartments. I think private jets or something, like yeah. all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so you that think he got some of that shit though from the Clippers. Um, I think they may have done it to where like, we got a yacht, we got a private jet. It's not yours, but you know, <laughs> wink wink, you could use it occasionally if you call us, kind of thing. And I think a lot of players and their families get deals like that. Okay. Okay. So nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing out of the ordinary against the rules per se. Against the letter of the law, yes. Well, I guess not against the letter, but against the spirit of the law. Okay. Um, but no, I don't think this person that they're investigating that says they were a consultant is, are they a real person? Yes. Did they actually consult and give them information that was necessary to sign him? No. I don't right. think it changed things. All right. Let us know what you think about these clues that we're dropping. Okay. How about this, Demarcus? How good do the Clippers have to perform this year? for Kawhi Leonard to not be a flight risk? Um, at least getting to the Western Conference Finals um, and being competitive. I think that's the minimum. If they lose in five, you think he dips? Uh-huh. Okay. Because that was expectation for year one, Western Conference Finals. So if you get there in year two after disappointing year one, and it's not even close, you lose 4-1 or whatever, gentleman sweep, whatever you want to call it, then you're certainly leaving because you came there to win. I mean, it seems like, I mean, and thus far, Kawhi's a bit of a mercenary. Um, he's like, listen. I don't think so. He was traded, traded against his will and then went to where he wanted to go. Yes. He's played for three teams. Mm-hmm. And granted, it's three teams in the last three years. But he was traded somewhere on an aspiring contract mm-hmm. and then chose his destination. I think calling him a mercenary is premature. context. I think it's premature. I think he okay. will leave. And he will he will choose another place that he wants to go to that he thinks has a good chance of winning, and then I'll be correct. I'm just early. Okay. All right. I think he will leave. All right. You heard it here first. Welcome to the final segment, the heart of our show, Bowers Bouquet. Too often in the media. People only want to focus on the negative and salacious things that athletes do, and they never want to give them credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. Yes. So, you know, we have reached the last Ballers Bouquet of 2020 and the last segment of the Fly Route podcast for this year. And we wanted to really make sure that the recipient of this week's Ballers Bouquet had made an outsized impact on his or her community in a way that is not just a one-time event, but that is going to be sustainable for many years to come. So this week's Ballers Bouquet goes to, in my opinion, the GOAT, 
the best basketball player to ever walk the earth. Preach. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Preach. So there's been a lot of talk about uh, you know Michael Jordan this year. He had the release of his docu series, um, you know, The Last Dance. We found out all kind of stories about his teams in the '90s, his growing up, and also criticisms that he has received for not taking action on lots of things, whether it be in the past or the present. But he has done some things in the last few years to change that narrative about his story and his life. Uh, the first of those things that I want to cover. And really, I want to say probably the main reason that he is getting this, um, you know, baller's bouquet for the end of the year for 2020 is the work he did in um, donating $7 million and working with Novant Health to open clinics in Carolina for people who are have little to no insurance. So these clinics, the first one that opened in, um, in October 2019, helped um, test over 13,000 people for COVID and help treat um, of almost 4,000 people um, for other kinds of illnesses in the year that it's been open. And just earlier this year in 2020, he opened his second clinic with Novant Health um, in the Carolina area to continue to serve these people. And I think it's really important. Um, and so does the CEO of Novant Health, Carl Armato, who says, the impact of the first clinic has been measurable, and if COVID-19 has taught us anything, it is the importance of having accessible, safe, and quality care in communities that need it most. Michael Jordan's commitment to improving the health of our communities and society is deep-rooted. So, already Michael has made an impact. These clinics will continue to operate for many years to come and provide free healthcare services to the residents with little to no insurance for a long time. So, that's already making a huge impact literally saving lives of people in his community. Um, but I think the second thing that Michael Jordan has done that's actually gotten more attention in 2020 was after the unrest, um, the public unrest, the civil unrest this summer over police brutality and the protests led by Black Lives Matter, Michael Jordan, along with his longtime business partner, Nike, through the brand that they share, essentially Jordan, uh, agreed to donate $100 million to initiatives that ensure racial equality, social justice, and greater access to education. And some of the first donations out of that fund have already come out since that fund was announced in July. So we've had the uh, NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund and the formerly incarcerated Convicted Peoples and Families Movement, each receiving over a million dollars. Black Voters Matter, which works to increase voter registration and turnout, got half a million dollars, etc., and of course, this is a $100 million pledge over the next 10 years. So we'll continue to see different organizations who are fighting for these issues continue to get money for a long, long time. So Michael Jordan has made an outsized impact with his influence in both healthcare for Carolinans, where he grew up, played his college ball, and for people all over this country through different initiatives. And for that, we want to give him the, a huge baller's bouquet. Now, we're at the end of the year. It's the holidays still. Some of us got taxes to do. Go ahead. (laughs) Donate some money. Give to others. And then write it off. The government wants you to donate to people. Be more like Mike. Go donate. Go help some people out. 
do good before this year is over. That's this week's Ballers Bouquet. You think you little Romeo or something, nigga? I'm somebody, okay? <laughs> I know we all wanted to be like Mike. At least we did. I don't know about these new kids. They want to be like Braun or something, but I want to be like Mike. Facts. Facts. And that's the last Ballers Bouquet of the 2020 year? It felt like 10. It felt like 10, maybe 5. But, um... Like deserve a whole bid in 2020 well i mean you know the nba players were like we did a bid in the bubble <laughs> but yeah last baller's bouquet goes to michael jordan deservedly so shout out to the goat it's a it's it's, it's a playboy affair all right, that is it for episode 15 of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, we want to thank each and every single one of you all for listening, for sharing your Christmas day with us as we drop. Merry, 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 Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. As always, we love hearing what you all think about the episodes. We want to know where you think Kawhi is going to go if he leaves. I want to hear what your predictions are for how many games the NBA is going to have to postpone, seeing as at day two, things have been pretty rough, to say the least. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully you are listening to us on Christmas morning as you are opening gifts or doing whatever it is you do. Go ahead and hit us up on Instagram and Twitter and let us know where do you listen to the Fire Out podcast? Is it in the car? Is it at the gym? Is it with your family in the mornings? Let us know, stay safe, and happy holidays, and I wish all of you a very happy new year.